Hey there, I'm Judy Croon, Canada's keynote humorist. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Mindful Monday. Today's episode is called Parenting, Finding Calm in the Chaos, Teaching Kids to Meditate. We're going to do a series of these podcasts. We've been doing a series of these podca- podcasts, uh, Parenting, Finding Calm in the Chaos. We've got three in total um, because parents are stressed out. By the way, if you didn't get a chance to listen to our first two episodes, uh, check them out. The first one, Connection, highly recommend that you give it a lesson. Uh, listen. Episode one, it starts with Connection. And then there was episode two, when things go wrong. They're both terrific. Highly recommend them. Uh, resources are tapped. COVID make, made those resources even more limited. Um, I have two moms on the show who want to make those resources available to parents who don't know what to do. Parenting can be a wonderful, magical experience, but it can also be very stressful, especially during the toddler and preschool years. So today, as with our other episodes, we're hoping to help parents find some calm in the chaos through connecting with themselves, their young kids, and especially episode uh, three, teaching kids to meditate. So uh, if you're a stressed out parent, tune in. My two special guests here for all three episodes are Kara Colson and Debbie DeCroon. Kara is a family facilitator. She works with families that include a person with an intellectual, developmental, or dual diagnosis disability, often with autism, and she helps them navigate the service system in the Durham region. She's also a mindfulness life coach at Pearl Mindfulness Education. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Kara so many times on just another mind. Mindful Monday. Here's the thing. Kara teaches mindfulness and meditation to adults, but as well as to kids and kids with special needs. And that's what we're going to tap into for this particular episode. Uh, Debbie's a pediatric speech language pathologist. She also happens to be my sister. Debbie has worked at various children's treatment centers and school settings, helping children with developmental delays, autism, ADHD, and other complex communication disorders. Debbie now operates a private practice where the focus is as much on parent training and coaching as it is on helping children to become better communicators. Ladies, welcome once again to the show. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Tara. Hello. Hey. These uh, episodes have been so informative, so fun. Um, Episode one, just uh, some great uh, takeaways in terms of connecting with your child, connecting with yourself. We talked about episode two, when things go wrong. Uh, Parents who blame themselves when things go wrong. Why didn't I see the red flags, they say. Uh, Debbie gave us some wonderful resources that parents can turn to when they're worried and stuck. Good links that I included in that podcast. And um, uh, Kara helped us to understand how parents can get their minds around these challenges, how they can stop blaming themselves, how they can center themselves, how they can uh, move forward through the uncertainty and be there for their children. So today's podcast, Teaching Kids to Meditate, obviously we're going to lean on Kara for this one as she is the mindfulness and meditation coach. But before we do that, I wanted to jump off the idea of helping parents to reframe their thoughts to better support their children by touching on the concept of neurodiversity, the idea that differences are not 
always deficits. So Deb, uh, I'd like to turn to you on this one. How would you like to address this? Uh, so kind of going back to Kara's point about reframing, right? That often uh, for stressed out parents, kids, um, society at large, that if we can look at something in a different way, that can really get us unstuck from our, our worry or our anxiety about it. Um, so this, I love this idea of neurodiversity. The term has actually been around for a long time and originally started as part of a social justice movement in the 1990s to help people think about inclusion, um, including, you know, all people. I think it's gained a lot more momentum more recently. And we often hear, hear this term neurodiversity applied to the autistic population. So the idea is neuro meaning brain and diverse, diverse meaning different. So the idea is that we all process information and learn in different ways, but there are certain subsets of the population. So autistic people, uh, people with ADHD, dys people who are dyslexic, whose brains really are set up differently, but it's not to say that those differences are necessarily going to lead to deficits that we can predict. So for example, we know that people with dyslexia process written language differently than the way people with, let's say, neurotypical brains process written language. People with autism or autistic people are going to have differences in communication, in behavior, often sensory differences. And these differences are because their, their brains are set up differently. So this isn't to say that a child can't have delayed or disordered development. Um, this is not to say that disabilities don't exist, but the idea is that the diagnosis can help a person understand why does my brain work the way it works? Um, it can help a parent to understand, you know, why does my child not seem to pay attention in class? Uh, why, did, why is my child so bothered by transitions or, or you know, wearing certain types of clothing or loud noises? Um, so, so, you know, the diagnosis is still helpful. Um, a diagnosis can help people to access resources in their community. A diagnosis can help people access communities of people like themselves. Um, you know, and it can also help us to, to provide supports for people who we know are going to struggle in certain areas. But what a diagnosis can't do is predict how one person is going to develop compared to another person. So sort of taking it back to the autistic population, one autistic individual may, you know, never communicate verbally. That person may continue to struggle in all areas of life because of sensory differences and their inability to communicate. Another autistic person may have average to above average IQ, may communicate verbally, may not really, may, may go on to live completely independently. So it, I think that reframing helps us to not make assumptions about mm. what does this diagnosis mean for my kid? 
It's also the idea that it's not always the individual who needs to change. Mm, right. <laughs> it's that society as a whole needs to embrace that different people learn differently. So some kids do not learn to read via traditional methods because of these brain differences. Um, you know, we can look at workplace situations where if someone is overwhelmed by too much noise or if someone, you know, has a harder time with crowd situations or noisy work environments because of sensory differences, maybe it's not that person that needs to change. Maybe it's the workplace that needs to make some accommodations so that that person can be just as successful as someone else. Um, you know, I, when our, when Kara and I had young kids in elementary school, we started seeing tennis balls attached to the bottoms of the legs of the chairs. And you, the purpose of the tennis balls was so that the, the chair legs wouldn't scrape on the floor and make all that noise that probably wasn't just driving you know, kids with sensory differences crazy. It was driving everybody crazy. Right. You know, yeah. that fluorescent lighting that we all grew up with, those buzzing bright oh. <laughs> right? Those have been removed from a lot of school situations because it turns out they're not really good for anyone. <laughs> they're good for growing pot. How do I know that? I don't know. <laughs> Did I say that? Episode five. <laughs> if you really want to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I just I just love that idea that a difference isn't necessarily going to lead to a deficit or a disability. Um, you know, one person with ADHD may struggle with social anxiety because they have trouble following a conversation in a in a big group situation but another may not and here's the thing a lot of neurotypical people have social anxiety for different reasons so it's kind of looking at the person in front of you and saying what accommodations does this person need today to help them to become successful? And in terms of kids, that continues to change as they get older, as they start to self, to be able to advocate for themselves, to say, you know what, I don't care if I stutter. I have lots of friends, um, you know, I'm, I'm engaged with my community. You know, mom and dad, I don't want to go to speech therapy anymore. Mm. This, I'm managing this. I've got some tools, but this doesn't define who I am or it isn't something that I feel needs to be cured. So it's really helped me as a clinician to kind of reframe my thinking around, um, you know, various diagnoses and this idea of, of being disabled by just, you know, a difference in how your brain functions. I really like that. Differences are not always deficits. And mm -hmm. Kara, before we jump into your meditation exercises for kids, which I'm just fascinated <laughs> with, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think Deb really wrapped it up very well. Um, and then extending that into kind of the mindfulness realm of you know, again, um, reiterating what we were saying last week in regards to what ifing, 
a diagnosis, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, going from zero to 60, once that diagnosis comes to a parent, it's important for a parent and teachers within the educational system to not like, to pay attention, as Deb said, to the child and what it is that they're needing and what it is that's happening for them right now, as opposed to putting them in a vat of expectation of what mm -hmm. that um, diagnosis is, because it may not be as bad as the brain of people is starting to put it there and think of it as, because often that stigma, often those are deep assumptions that may not be true. So what is true and where is your mind? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm on the phone with Kara uh, Colson and Debbie DeCroon. Kara is a family facilitator. Debbie is a pediatric speech language pathologist. We've been doing a three-part series called Parenting, Finding Calm in the Chaos. Episode one was It Starts with Connection. Episode two, When Things Go Wrong. Lots of uh, great links in that podcast for parents. And uh, finally, episode three teaching kids to meditate so Kara, i understand uh, i mean just getting adults to meditate can be challenging <laughs> right <laughs> so getting kids to meditate right getting kids with with challenges to meditate that's that's phenomenal so uh, the stage is yours thank you well i i mean i think it connects into the connection piece that we were talking about and and have been touching on throughout the past too and um kids love to meditate because often they have someone connecting with them and being present but even more so with play and with fun and i mean who doesn't like that right at mm -hmm. any age but kids most definitely know they have their parents um, attention fully when they're doing an exercise like this and both parties are enjoying it and that's kind of the main piece you wouldn't want to bring meditation to a child when you don't really feel like doing that or your mind is somewhere else because you're not doing a service to the practice or to the the little person who is hoping to learn something from you so um some of the things that I like to suggest is, um, you know, leaving yourself at the door, so to speak, and also meditating with the child. Um, a lot of the studies that I've done, um, even with people with disability, is they pick up the idea so much quicker and see the importance of it when they actually see someone modeling it for them and they're able to mirror that a little bit. So first off, do your own work, do your own practice, and make sure the children in your life are seeing you do it. So second of all, if it's a younger child, play is the key and having fun with it. So one of the first things I would suggest is something called balloon breath. And so allowing children to understand what that deep, belly breathing is all about as part of meditation so um you know having them pretend there's a balloon in their belly 
and you know breathing into the balloon um extending the play a little bit with how would you breathe if the balloon is blue how would you breathe if it's yellow and mm -hmm. having fun with that and showing them what you would do and you know the balloon in my belly is red because today's a red day and this is how i'm breathing and just lying on the floor beside them and doing those exercises remember the fun exercise when we were kids and you would put your head on someone else's stomach mm -hmm and feel the breath and hear all the noises and all the fun giggling and things. Something like that is a lot of fun. So that would get children into the understanding of what that deep breathing is all about. Um, another suggestion would be sleepy animal shapes. So if you have a child who really likes dinosaurs, well, how would a dinosaur sleep? What would that look like? Which shape would that be? Um, you know, how would a bat sleep? What does that look like? <laughs> Give it a try. And, you know, this is something that also then they're sleeping. So you've got to breathe deeply, you know, show me that that you know, um, pterodactyl is asleep. How would I know? You know what I mean? Which shape does that look like? Also, a uh, suggestion would be um, child and parent yoga classes, teen and parent yoga classes. Um, there are a lot of people on this planet who really need to move in order to get that deep breath in and in order to access their bodies and what's happening. Some of my best meditations I've ever had in life have been walking meditations. Mm. And um, yoga is a great way to do it. Debbie and I have done great walking meditations, mm -hmm. but we've been talking through them <laughs> <laughs> and trying to get up Heartbreak Hill. But anyway, that's cool. <laughs> um, you know, if you're out with your child and you're doing a walking kind of exercise and getting exercise the way you can bring yourself to present moment is something called three things um you know three things you see two things you hear and one thing you're feeling mm. and you can continue to do that as you're walking along and that just brings you right to that present moment um and showing children that being in the present moment is um a fun place to be and that deep breathing. So you're building a scaffold of understanding of what meditation and mindfulness really is. It's starting them really young with just deep breathing, having fun with it, making shapes, doing yoga. And then as they get to be older children and into the teen years, um, you start more of that mindful thought process of, of having those conversations and holding space for their thoughts. So when you're doing that drive with them, whether you're, you know, what are you thinking um, about this situation or what's your mind telling you? What is What story is your mind telling you right now? So let's say your nine-year-old daughter starts to talk to you about something somebody said to them at school mm. you know maybe they're upset about it well the question could be what's your mind telling yourself about that mm -hmm. right now and invariably they might say you know i'm not good enough i'm not and and you know you can start to talk back to those thoughts and start to establish watching thoughts or the idea that it's only a thought you mm -hmm. know that's just a thought in your mind um we're not our thoughts by any stretch you know um 
Or why carry someone else's thought? I mean, that's someone else's thought process about you. That doesn't have to be your thought process about you. Mm -hmm. um, why are Kara, we have you been? Thoughts? Have you been in my head? I'm uh, <laughs> a little bit. Uh... No, I'm just living in my own. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we we all is a human condition. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with our mind, but we need to be able to have those moments of deep space and silence to be able to really pay attention to where our thoughts are, what we're saying about ourselves without us even realizing it. And sharing that back with your teen or your, your older child once they get into this area um, of understanding a little bit deeper because the minute we have a thought or the minute we hear someone else's thoughts, our emotionality attaches to it so quickly. It's like mm -hmm. more than the speed of light and we're not aware of what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we start to feel anxious. We start to not feel safe. We start to beat ourselves up. The story we're making up in our mind is generally an old thread of a story we've carried since we were a little kid. Right. And generally it's not even true but that's our belief system. So we're triggered by some of these words and things other people throw at us. And then it just builds into our own story. So those questions of where are your thoughts right now? What are your thoughts telling you? Um, and realizing they're just thoughts. And you realize that, you know, your emotions connect to thoughts. But one of the great ways you can do this with teens or older children, too, is if you sit in silence with them and doing that deep breath that you've been building with them is a labeling exercise. So you can sit, um, you know, set some music on for like two minutes and say, we're just going to sit here and we're going to say how many times we're going to count. How many times a thought comes into our head? One, two, three. You know, you don't have to say what the thought is, but you and your parent can sit and you can come up with numbers. You might notice that your mom has a number of 35 and you only have 13. Like, what's up with mom, right? <laughs> um, you know, and you can have a bit of a laugh about that. But realizing that throughout our minds consistently are thoughts. They don't need to control us. They're only thoughts. Mm -hmm. You can also do this exercise with emotions. So again, you can sit with a teenager and label how many, count how many times an emotion comes into your mind or into your body over a minute. It's so many. And what's that all about? And if you were to follow the thread of each one of those, well, I mean, you're not living in the present moment. And most of that is, uh, most of those thoughts connected with emotions aren't true about yourself. They aren't true about the situation. You're either living in the past or you're living in the future. You're what ifing or it could have been. It's not the present moment. Come back to your breath. And then one of the best things to do with children and teens is to stand with them, deep breathing, and then go through a pretend exercise of them growing roots from their feet all the way deeply into the earth itself, all nice. the way to the core of the earth, and then bringing all the energy from the core of the earth all the way back up through their body and just letting yourself be grounded by the earth itself. 
I love that. I love that. I um, It just reminds me that one exercise you were talking about, whose voice are you listening mm-hmm. to? Whose voices are you listening to? Um, I was saying to Deb, the <laughs> thing that I loved about RuPaul's Drag Race was something that they did at the end of every season where they have the uh, they have the drag queens up there looking at their picture when they were six years old. And it'd be like, okay, what would you say to this person, you know? And it was just really interesting, the voices that those little kids had to listen to, whether it was, you know, someone at school, parents, relatives, strangers. And uh, the, the, the positive thing that came out of it is so many times they said, you know what, you're going to be confused, you're, uh, you're going to be sad, you're going to go through a lot of stuff, but it's going to get way better. And for just people to just watch the show just for 30 seconds and, and get that message, it's just so powerful getting the control over those voices. It's so true. And I love that part of the show as well. Um, one of the, one of the, I mean, a meditation exercise, mindfulness exercise from like eons ago is, who am I? So you're sitting there in thought, who am I? Well, the thoughts will start to say, well, you're a mother, you're mm. a daughter, you're a yada yada. Um, but who am I? But who am I really? I mean, beyond that, beyond that. And your mind will keep bringing labels to you. But then who are you underneath all of that? You're just the breath. You're just the being. And that's connected to everything. Hmm. I love it. There's no division. I really, really love that. That's amazing. Uh, Kara, you know, your voice is so calming just to, you know, I've, I almost like fell asleep here. I was just so relaxed. I was so Everyone relaxed. says that. You know? And then I heard my voice saying, you know, you really need to work on your balloon belly. How many sit-ups would you have to do to get rid of your balloon belly? No, and then no, I said, no, Kara says no. to push it away. Push it away. What color is my balloon? Love the balloon belly. <laughs> you know what, ladies? We're wrapping up this episode. I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with both of you. Finding calm in the chaos is, uh, I, I know I've learned so much. We started with episode one. It starts with connection. All of these episodes are online, by the way. Uh, episode two, when things go wrong with all those great, great links. And of course, wrapping up uh, episode three, uh, teaching kids and adults to meditate. Uh, by the way, if you want to get a hold of Kara, Kara Coulson, our family facilitator, she can be re- uh, reached at Zen Life. 285 at gmail.com again that is zenlife285 at gmail.com if you want to reach debbie debbie uh our speech pathologist our pediatric speech pathologist her email address is debbie.decroon d-e-k-r-o-o-n at gmail.com debbie.decroon at gmail.com um, if you have any further questions, you can reach out to me, Judy, Judy at JudyCroon.com with the C or go to my website, JudyCroon.com. Again, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Debbie, Kara, oh. thank you so much. Thanks, do I, have time, do I have time to just shout out to all the moms as we're close to Mother's Day? Yes. Yay! Um, I, if you've been a mom, you have had anxious moments. <laughs> Lots of them, sleepless nights. Um, but you know what? I think going back to our, our first 
podcast about connecting, you are everything to your child and you possess everything that your child needs when you're a mom. You don't often remember that or think that, but uh, just a shout out to our mom who's no longer with us, Kara's mom who listens to our podcast. Oh, <laughs> hey, Georgia. And all the moms, happy Mother's Day. Thanks, Deb. You too. And anyone who is a pet mama, yes, they need you too. Yes. And uh, yeah, love love your babies no matter what they are, no matter what age. That's right, Barney. It's a bedtime. Mommy's listening. (laughs) Balloon belly, Barney. (laughs) All right. Take care, ladies. Everyone, just hang in there. And and we've got some more information. So make sure you uh, stay tuned to judycroon.com. We'll have all our updates on there as well. Again, Kara and Debbie, thank you so much. Thanks, Judy.